We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. You're listening to Setting the Pace, your go-to Pacers podcast with Alex Golden and Michael Focci. Sabonis down the lane with authority. Oh, Miles Turner bringing that smoke. Lundford skies high for the jam. Warren lets it fly. Yes! T.J. Warren is not human. The Setting the Pace podcast had Kevin Pritchard on. Well, you got it setting the pace, and I think that's terrific. All righty, Pacer Nation, we are back. It's been a while since we've got to talk and there's been a lot that's happened since you know Wednesday before the Sacramento Kings game so I'm joined by my co-host Mike Fauci to talk about all this drama and what's the future of the Indiana Pacers going forward so Fauci what's up brother? Alex it's been less than a week but it's been an eternity in (laughs) Pacer Nation way too much has happened we've seen some very low lows Sprinkled in with a random win against the Hawks, which none of us really expected. And then a a hard-fought game against Washington, where I don't know if anybody really wanted to win, but we played pretty good to the point where you didn't really want to lose. We're all split, but hey, that's just kind of how the season has has been. Yeah, no, there's no doubt about it. And so I think we can start back just real quick, touch on this whole entire Kings game that happened. And so obviously – Obviously, the, the Tuesday night report came out from Woj. We talked about it Wednesday. Basically saying Bjorkman's future was in jeopardy. And, you know, if, if players really love their coach and they don't want him to get fired, do you think against a really, you know, depleted Sacramento Kings team, no De'Aaron Fox, I don't believe Harrison Barnes played either. Nope. So without two of their best players, you're thinking, okay, this is a game that we should go out there and take care of business, especially since we need to keep these wins coming. From the Pacers' perspective, if you're trying to hold off Washington from passing you in the playing game so you can host them 
at Bankers Life Fieldhouse. But regardless, the Pacers did not do that. They did not show up that game that got completely just trounced by the entire Sacramento Kings team. Uh, Marvin Bagley looked like the next coming of Wilt Chamberlain in that game. Just, just completely dominated. And it got to the point where we had a little scuffle, not a scuffle, but a, a mix-up between Goga Batadze and Greg Foster. I shared some thoughts on Twitter, but I didn't really see too much from Foch on Twitter. So, Foch, if you want to kind of break down this whole situation of what happened and then give your thoughts on it, I would love to hear them. Sure. I mean, from a, a media standpoint, it was probably amongst the most coverage the Pacers have gotten in, in a little bit, which was an absolute embarrassment because you started getting the text notifications. I'm getting then the text messages from very so-so NBA fans because the Pacers made you know, the headlines and they're basically saying, what's going on over there? And then you have the poor reporting that everybody thought Greg Foster was Nate Bjorkren. <laughs> and, and it just made it even worse. It was like, oh, come on, at least get our coach, our head coach right. So in the situation, look, uh, you know, you start seeing Greg Foster very animated, having to be held back, not a good look. But then when you, you know, got a little bit more film on what actually happened and you see that Goga essentially said to him, sit the F down from a distance Alex, it's a hard line to tiptoe as an assistant coach at that point. You have to find a certain level of respect. And right now, it really doesn't look like there's that much respect between the players and coaches. And, you know, we've heard Greg Foster and Goga have a good relationship, I think. But this is the kind of thing where this is what a lot of losing and kind of, you know, clashing internally does. Yeah. Eventually, it's going to come out. And unfortunately, it came out, uh, it made the headlines, Greg Foster was suspended a game, Goga was fined, and something like that, just after, you know, everything that has been going on in the media about Nate Bjorkman's job, it really kind of made us think, whoa, there might be a lot more problems than we think. Yeah, I, I agree with that. And so I'm going to ask you this, because when I first saw it, I put a tweet out basically just saying, I like that Greg Foster went at Goga a little bit. I, I like that he was animated. I did not see the video like I did. I mean, I watched it, but it was very casually. I wasn't sitting there like, oh, Jeremy Lane was dissatisfied or Demonte Sabonis was holding back uh, Goga Batadze or everyone looked annoyed. Like I wasn't paying attention to that. I just kind of looked at how mad he was. And I thought it was just over the fact that he didn't, you know, protect the rim. I mean, they're getting spanked by the Kings. This report comes out like, where's the heart? Where's the fight? So I'm like, yeah, I'm glad Greg Foster's getting on to him for it. Like he's a young guy. He needs it. And everybody started coming at me saying, I disagree. I disagree. So then I went back and watched the context of the video, and I understand now why people were kind of up in arms about it a little bit because it was it was quite more to the story. It was not so much about him missing that you know rim protection, uh, sliding over to protect the rim there. I believe it was a Mo Harkless dunk in that sure. game. Yeah, so really like that, it was more to that because like you said, Goga hit a three and told him to sit the F down. And Greg Foster, when he saw that, was irate. And quite frankly, if I was an assistant coach and my player told me that, I would be irate too. I've seen people on Twitter saying the Pacers should have fired Greg Foster for going at Goga Batadze for that. First of all, that is ridiculous in my opinion. Just stop. Both these guys are completely wrong. Greg Foster should not have overreacted the way he did. But I understand why he's mad. And there's no way Goga Batadze should have said that. If I was the head coach, I would have found out immediately why my assistant coach was so mad. And if they could have confirmed that Goga said that, I would have set Goga down for the rest of the game. I'm sorry. 
you can sit here and say that I'm a, an old curmudgeon and whatever, but I get it's a player's league and I'm, I'm all for, you know, the player empowerment, whatever. But at some point we got to step in and say, look, players have to respect coaches, coaches have to respect players. And I don't know what Greg Foster said to Goga that made him say sit the F down because they're wearing masks. So I can't see what he said. So to give Goga the benefit of the doubt, you know, the Pacers did go and talk about this till one o'clock in the morning that Thursday with knowing they had a game coming up. I, I respect them for, for handling that and taking care of that. But at the end of the day, neither party was right. Goga Batadze they felt, you know, frustrated with the whole situation afterwards. You did not want Greg Foster to be suspended. And then when Greg Foster was back for the Wizards game, they were out there working on the court together pregame. Scott Agnes had a video of it. So it's not a whole lot, but I just think at this point, you know, I just have to get this out here. I do not agree that Goga was right. I do not agree that Greg Foster was right. I think both were wrong. But I do think that, you know, Goga should have been held accountable for what he said. He got fined for it. That's fine. But I, I would have been a coach. If I would have been the coach, I would have pulled him out of the game. Sorry, that's just me. Yeah, no. I mean, we on this show had, you know, been vocal that we wanted to see the coaches care more be more vocal about, you know, showing some passion that not, you know, this isn't all right. And then Greg Foster just gave us the, an overloading dose of caring yeah. too much. But here's the thing I have seen from, from playing youth sports, football, basketball, when a player talks back like that to coaching and gets away with it, it sends a message to the players that this is all right. Yep. And you lose a certain level of respect for those coaches and I, I think that Greg Foster had every right to say something, but not in a, in a, in a way of trying to go out and fight him. Yeah. Because the last thing we needed was for Greg Foster to lay hands on <laughs> on TV. I mean, it would have been one of the worst looks the Pacers have experienced, you know, in quite some time. Um, so in this situation, look, it sounds like the Pacers addressed it. You know, Greg Foster was suspended a game. Goga was fine, just like you mentioned. Um, but it seemed like the damage had kind of already been done. I, I don't think that Goga has a history of this at all, but I also don't think that Goga has earned the right to be able to, not that any player should be able to talk to a coach like that, but Goga has definitely not earned the right to pull that type of move. Like if there's going to be someone doing that, it should be a star player. And in this instance, Goga was talking to the wrong guy when he hit a three. Maybe that's something you say to the guy defending you. But to your own coach, I mean, come on. You yeah. can't be doing that. And, and look, uh, you know, we'll dive into it a little bit further moving forward. But the Bleacher Report article mentioned that Greg Foster and Bjorkren have clashed at times. And I wonder if Foster is kind of someone that's kind of taken uh, – Taken a lot this year, and maybe it just kind of, you know, boiled over uh, in this incident against the Kings. Yeah, I'm sure he's more strong-willed than some of the other assistant coaches. He definitely seemed very aggressive there with uh, how he responded, and obviously you could tell the players were not thrilled about it. So maybe there is something there. But I think if I was a head coach, Kevin Pritchard and all those guys have been sitting right there by the bench, if you've noticed. Yeah. They've moved their chairs down. I. I would have just looked at him and said, look, man, you got to go to the locker room and cool off. Just hit the showers for the night, and I wouldn't have put Goga in the rest of the game. Then if your coach addresses it there, then it probably doesn't get to, you know, suspensions and, and, and fines. But I, I think that a lot of it's telling uh, of everything coming going on. And so then we get this Bleacher Report bomb that you mentioned. There's a lot of stuff in it. I was actually wow. – 
I was actually out and about doing my job and somebody sends me a text message and the message goes, wow, look at this. And it's a screenshot of the TJ Warren information, him requesting a trade and all this stuff. Um, sitting out the rest of the season is what the report said uh, because he didn't like Bjorkren. He opted to have surgery instead of play for him. And the Pacers didn't consult TJ Warren before hiring his former coach in the G League and Nate Bjorkren. All they did was worry about the X's and O's. And so I was like, okay. I saw the screenshot. I was like, this is pretty interesting. So I shared it on, on Twitter. Immediately, once I shared it, it blew up. People were already sharing the entire article. Like, you got to read this. You got to check this out. And I connected with a source very, very, very close to the Indiana Pacers in the NBA. And I said, what's going on here? And they basically said, complete lie that TJ Warren has asked for a trade. They said this is a crappy clickbait league. And I said, okay. So I, I immediately reported it. And I know my report did not get that aggregated. So that's fine with me. I'm not trying to sit here and act like I'm a reporter. I've never done that. I don't claim to be a reporter. But I had 100% confidence that I could report this based on who my source was. And then the source himself, TJ Warren, comes out and confirms it later by getting on social media and saying there is some nonsense and actually adding the guy that wrote the article and said, you didn't talk to me about this or basically coming at him denying what he said. So if you know, TJ Warren, he's not a guy on active. Uh, he's not very active on Twitter. I think the last time he had tweeted was something like calling TJ McConnell, the mid range killer. So we know that for TJ Warren to go to social media to address this whole situation, there had to be some false part of it. Uh, to it. So that's where I'm at with the Fudge, but a lot more was in this article, and I'll let you kind of hit on what I said and jump into that. Yeah, so it, the fact that TJ Warren addressed this should have immediately put the end to that specific topic because it, it just felt like, you know, like you mentioned, he is not someone that is active on social media like that. So I thought that was a great move for, for TJ to, uh, you know, dispute that, that conversation right there. And look, Bleacher Report has a history of being unreliable. Do I believe that some of their facts in the article were true? I do. Uh, I do. Uh, but I think that there's also a lot that they kind of threw at the wall to kind of be for clickbait. And, and that's unfortunately the world that we live in right now. Um, but one of the things that they talked about in, in the article was essentially Bjorkren's style. And it's that it said his communication style has been categorized as aggressive and abrasive with players and members of the staff. Um, they said this trickles down from the um, front of the bench assistants down to the trainers, equipment personnel, kind of mentioning that something as small as maybe being if, if uh, a practice ran a bit behind or a ball rack was out of place, Bjorken could erupt that players and staff. And something like that is definitely very alarming. Uh, you know, mentioned that he's been very hard on the staff and maybe at some point in a lower level that might work, but without proven success as the head coach, if you're losing, that type of stuff is, is not going to be acceptable at all with the players, and they're, they're probably going to rebel. And it also mentioned a couple things that, that this is the one line of the article that really stuck out to me the most. It said, quote, he's got like a Jekyll and Hyde thing going. And in relation to how when he started out the season, he was overly positive about everything, seemed just like the most upbeat guy. And it sounds like whether it's losing the season or life in general, I think this guy's been a bit broken 
and they mentioned kind of policing every single conversation. It feels like he needs to be involved in just about everything. And nobody likes a micromanager. And I think that that's kind of being what's going on right now in Indiana. Yeah, there's a lot to unpack there, Foch. I mean, I say where there's smoke, there's fire when it comes to this whole thing. And I know that Nick Nurse did kind of dispute some of the comments that were made about his time in Toronto. And one thing that I've said about Nate Bjorkman this entire tenure, because I've not been that impressed. I said, number one, I feel like people aren't criticizing him enough. And number two, and number two, I've said sometimes coaches are better as assistants than head coaches. I've said that multiple times. And the only reason I said that is because, look, when you are thrown into a head coaching position, it's one thing in the G League, it's one thing in college. But when you're handling NBA players, it's a totally different ballpark, especially in the player empowerment era. The reason they got rid of McMillan was because they wanted a, a guy that was closer to him. You know, then there's reports that have been out all year long talking about it. Zach Lowe, actually, on the jump, once all this stuff came out from Woj, said it's been the most open secret that players and whatever are not happy with him. So I'm going to give you three reasons that Nate Bjorkren must go. Uh, number one, I kind of mentioned it earlier, but you've got the front office, you've got players, and you've got staff members leaking information Definitely. to different outlets. If you have all three in agreements, it, it don't matter. He, he cannot fix it at this point. Number two, and this is to me the biggest one, you can clean house with your assistant coaches, but what assistant coach is going to want to come into Indiana and coach with this guy? You know what I'm saying? Like, it, yeah. to me, there's not going to be any because they're going to be like, okay, he's a micromanager, has a Jekyll Hyper relationship. Like, he might be on his best behavior. So you might think, oh, that might be a reason that we can maybe get him in here. But to me, like, no, like, if he's not going to be able to have relationships with or good relationships with these coaches, what thinks any other assistant coach is going to want to come here? So that's to me, like, of course, the reports that Billy Baino basically left because of Nate Bjorkren's attitude, like there was other stuff that went into it, but they said his personality did not mesh well. Billy Baino, Billy Baino was like the glue to me with that coaching staff and the players because he's the only one that was carryover. Yeah. And, and three, I think at this point, you've just lost the locker room. Um, T.J. McConnell came out, said the PR thing after they almost beat the Wizards, I think, or maybe it was after they beat the Hawks, said yeah. something along the lines of like, we wanted to show that we're here for coach, blah, blah, blah. Okay, cool. T.J. McConnell probably does like Navy Orkin because he's given him a bigger role this year. But at the end of the day, you know, they're professionals. Their job is to play basketball no matter who the coach is. You know, maybe they would have been smart to fire Bjorken before the season was over just to kind of prove a message. But at the end of the day, I just feel like the players have mostly lost their respect based on all the reports that we've heard. And he's got a long way to go to recover, but I just don't think that it's right now or in Indiana that should be the case. I don't want to waste another season on Nate Bjorkren trying to figure it out because we got guys in our in our prime. And I think that we need to figure out a way to maximize this moment instead of sitting here and trying to, you know, fit Bjorkren with these guys again. Essentially what you mean is you don't want to waste another game this season <laughs> under Bjorkren. But, no, I mean, I I'm cannot, fine wasting games this year. Get me in the lottery, say, baby. <laughs> I cannot imagine a year where someone fires a head coach before the first season is even over. I mean, that is just like you must yeah. have the wrong feathers. So I don't blame the Pacers for at least giving them the rest of this year, given that there's only a few games left. But – and this is the final week. But – 
I want to hear from, you know, it's not that everybody needs to rush to social media to defend their case, but we haven't heard from Bill Bainham in the situation. We haven't. So it makes me believe that there could be some truth there. I mean, obviously from everything, when he stepped away, it was, he was dealing with some, some tragic family losses, family and friends and COVID and just life had been tough for him. And I'm sure maybe he could have clashed with Bjorkman or not, you know, you know, felt as great working under him. And that might've been just the like, Hey, you know what? Just that's not the main reason, but that's just another reason in there. So there could yeah. be some truth to that, but I just feel like this is a situation where you mentioned they are going to clear out the assistant coaches. That's going to happen. I can't yeah. really see many assistant coaches keeping their job. So why wouldn't you just go and wipe out the full coaching staff at that point? Yeah. It feels like the only thing to do. Uh, and in this situation, there are certain things you can change like schemes and stuff, but you can't change how you are. And that right now, I think, is the biggest problem because Bjorkman's not going to be able to just become another guy. Yeah. Eventually, throughout a whole season, this was 72 games. Things went south pretty early. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. You think he's got 82 in him next year? With that? <laughs> I don't want to find out. No. Uh, so I think those are the changes he's just not going to be able to make. And maybe this has to be, unfortunately, him becoming an assistant coach again, learning again and, and incorporating different different styles. But we can't personally wait along for him to change. Yeah, pretty much all the reports have said that he's kind of a jerk to work with. Um, the nicest way to put it, you know, I don't cuss. So that's kind of where I'm at with it. It's like, all right, you know, <laughs> if you're like this, there's no reason to waste our time with you for mm -hmm. another season. Let's move on. You know, and quite frankly, I have to ask this because I think it's only fair. The economy is made up of real people doing real stuff and it affects everything, which you obviously know since you're a real person doing real stuff. Marketplace is here to help you get smart about everything beyond the what of the day's business and economic news. We dig into the how and the why with the real people driving our economy. From big tech and interest rates to small businesses and what's happening at the Fed, Marketplace breaks it all down so you don't have to. Listen to Marketplace wherever you get your podcasts. Do we think Kevin Pritchard should be on the hot seat? I think Pritchard is most definitely on the hot seat if he brings back Bjorkman. I think if you oh. bring back Bjorkman okay. for one more year, then <laughs> okay. you are you are officially 
tied to him as basically. Well, what if it's not his call? What if it's uh, Simon's call? Well, I mean, then, then the there's a caveat. They would know that. I think if Pritchard goes to bat for Bjorkren, keeps him on for another year, and things fail big time, and maybe say Sabonis or TJ Warren or maybe even Brogdon requests a trade as yeah. a result of this, then it, then it, his hands, they're, they're dirty in this situation of, hey, you, you went to bat for this guy, and uh, it, it not only didn't work out, it, yeah. it doubled down on it, and it didn't work out. Well, I was just laughing because I was looking at some of the transactions from Kevin Pritchard's time here, and basically it just shows all the Pacers moves. And they fired Nate McMillan, I believe, on August 26th, and they hired Nate Bjorkman on October 20th. So they spent almost two entire months yeah. looking for their next candidate, doing their due diligence, so to say. And I, I think, honestly, when they hired Nate Bjorkman, every Pacer fan was like, this is exactly what I wanted. I didn't want another retread coach. Yeah. I wanted a new analytically driven guy. And this is what you got. So I, I think that it's not fair to say, in, in my estimation, that that's not the route they should have gone, but maybe they just missed on they the right missed. person. That, that's but, all it is. but at the same time, the name that kept coming up, Mike D'Antoni, Mike D'Antoni, Mike D'Antoni, his name is already back as the number one person to replace him. And it makes a lot of sense. D'Antoni, as a front office guy in Kevin Pritchard's position, you want someone that's going to be able to relate to the players and you've got history to prove that it works with this coach, this coach, the players love playing for him for the most part. So I think that if you do bring him in, I know that me and you were kind of against it because of, you know, maybe his system or stylistically, or maybe because he's a little bit older. Like I know there's different reasons why he's not our biggest choice, but I think that the reason his name is circulating a little bit is just because the same reason circulated last year. He thought Indiana, I have sources that have said he thought Indiana was his destination last year. So it's been a weird COVID season. Pacers can just say, look, we're not going to be cute with it. We're not going to go try to find the next Nick Nurse. We're not going to go try to find the next Brad Stevens. We're just going to go get someone that's got a little bit of a proven track record because we can't mess this up again. Like if they mess it up again by taking a risk, they're going to have to basically just be like low risk, high reward is what they're hoping for with their next tire instead of the high risk, high reward, which is what they got this season. And it was uh, more of a low risk or more of a high risk, low reward with uh, Nate Bjorkman. <laughs> if you look on paper, Bjorkman does check the boxes, though, of what you're looking for. Yeah. Like, great, the Pacers didn't just go for average and get a guy who's never really won anything before and, you know, but has been a head coach for a long time. Like, no, they swung. They they really did. And Bjorkman could But have did they really? Out. I mean, to an extent. My I only thought. pushback, my only pushback, it was cheap because they had to pay McMillan. So yeah. cheap contract. And two, incredibly close friends with GM Chad Buchanan. And Pritchard. Uh, so in the article, it mentioned that he kind of went, oh, well, Pritchard had a great relationship with Nick Nurse, which yeah. I believe had an impact on Pritchard feeling comfortable with that. So it seemed like somehow Bjorkman really did check the boxes of, being, you know, having guys in the Pacers front office able to vouch for him. And unfortunately, I, I, I don't know what happened. Maybe we got a full moon all season and he kind of turned into his other side, his Dr. Jekyll, Mr. Hyde personality. But when things flipped, uh, it, it didn't go well. And I do think that when you mentioned the Pacers, look, we can't discredit that they did kind of look at like 20 different coaches. Yeah, it really did. It was a thorough search that I remember we joked around. It felt like everybody's name. <laughs> was 
It's like if your name wasn't involved, are you even a, a promising coach in this league? But yeah. they, they, they just unfortunately got it wrong. And I think that even if we had, you know, better health this year, I don't think the Pacers ever would have probably been a great team. We yeah. would have been better though. Yeah, I think that's I think that's fair. But at the end of the day, when you don't have TJ Warren, you know, you go through the whole Karis LeVert situation. If McMillan was here, yeah, they might have been a better team. They might have been around the four or five seed once again, just because he knows his roster, knows what what complements them and all that kind of thing. But to me, at the end of the day, a lot of people have said we need to make trades based on Bjorkman's system. And I have been very adamant you do not trade your best players because it doesn't fit a rookie head coach's system. You have to be smart with that. So moving forward, though, I, I will say that I do think that the entire article that came out Thursday or Thursday afternoon with the fire or the fining of Gogo Batadze and the suspension of Greg Foster, Pacers came out and took care of business against the Hawks. And then they almost won a pivotal game against the Washington Wizards. And I mean, look, the Wizards have been one of the top seven teams, six teams in the Eastern Conference since, you know, the last 20, 25 games. I mean, they've been on fire. So they like, really they're, have. They're, they're, a top, they're much better than the record says they are in a sense of how they've been playing recently. And the Pacers fought back really hard and played some really good basketball. I know that they lost that game and the defense wasn't great, but I thought that was probably the most enjoyable eight quarters plus overtime that I've seen from them in a very long time. Now, I didn't want the results of a Hawks win, or I mean a Pacers win against the Hawks, yeah. for what I want this team long-term to get. But I will say as a fan of the guys on the team, they have responded well. Now, they haven't come out and defended anything or disputed no. anything. So I, I think that they're just trying to get through the season and move on. But I will say the guys that have been on the court playing, they've been playing well and uh, got a harder win against Atlanta and fought super tough and might have lost on a bad foul call. It was, uh, it was kind of tough. It was questionable. I, it was very questionable. Um, it, was, it made it disappointing because – the game really was at the edge of your seat. And then to have, uh, I believe it was LaVert get whistled for that foul on Russell Westbrook at the very end. I mean, that was rough. There was a bad call, uh, a foul against the bonus against Daniel Gafford. I mean, there, there was some some pretty poor calls, but you know what? It, it tends to kind of go both ways. In the grand scheme of things, Bradley Beal scored 50 points on efficient shooting and Russell Westbrook once again murdered the Pacers. The Pacers have had no answer for Russell Westbrook at all in the three games that they've played. And the fact that they're locked into playing them once more is not a great feeling by the numbers. The fact that uh, I believe the Wizards won all three of those games against the Pacers this year makes you kind of feel like the Pacers are due for a win. I, I, I hope not. But at the same point, you know, yes, we did see some good basketball in classic fashion. The Pacers had a fourth quarter collapse, but I have to tip my hat to what we are seeing in the two-man show of DeMontis Sabonis and Karis LeVert. Yep. Those two have been unbelievable. LeVert looks better than anyone could have possibly advertised, and I believe is playing the best basketball of his career right now in a consistent stretch, not going out there and scoring 50 points like he did before in one game, but consistently. And Sabonis, I just think, has been – out of this world. I mean, this was a tweet from Basketball Reference a couple days ago. Over Sabonis' last four games, mind you, he was coming back from a back injury. He had 105 points, 59 rebounds, and 40 assists. <laughs> only four, the only other players to do that over a four-game span are Will Chamberlain, 
Oscar Robinson, Oscar Robinson, and of course Russell Westbrook. So it's just <laughs> like obviously Russ just has killed us, but those are you know that's good a company. good class to be in. Yeah, good company. It, it yeah, really is. And Sabonis, it just showed for those that might have forgotten while he was hurt. This is a very special talent. Yeah, no, there's no doubt about it. Don't so bonus is a freaking beast. Oh yeah. Um, you can say what you want about him, but man, I love watching him play basketball. He's so, so good. And I think one of the things that we've noticed too recently is they've been playing him out more on the perimeter and not forcing him down into the paint as much. Yep. He's so good at passing. He's so good at seeing the floor, so good at getting guys open. I mean, we hammer that all those points every single episode, just talking about how good he is. Now look, his defense, there's much to be desired there, but yeah. At the end of the day, I mean, defense is part of the problem, but rebounding, if he's not in there, is part of the problem when he's not there. So you take your lumps with it and just and just move on. But I, I think that schematically, like, the Pacers still have issues. You know, that's been a problem with Bjork and all year. Defensive schemes have just not been good, but I think that they've adjusted well. I think that you see a guy like O'Shea Brissett that's come in, and he's really fit in pretty well with this team. Edmund Sumner has really blossomed this season as well. T.J. McConnell and Doug McDermott are having career years. So, I mean, there's been good basketball stuff. It's just been, I think, internal issues that have kept this team from really taking off. And so, you know, we're, we're looking here at this playing game, Flatch, and it's more than likely we're going to be the 9 or 10 seed. But yeah. there's no one will let us out. Literally <laughs> no, no one will. We're, we're stuck in jail, right, on Monopoly. Yes. we got to yes. roll doubles and we probably won't. But I will say this, there's been some – interesting injuries that have happened. We heard the news of Bradley Beal getting injured after that Pacers game. Obviously, he didn't make the overtime appearance. Uh, Russell Westbrook kind of had to run the show there. But Beal is now going to be out for the next couple of games. And then we've just heard Jalen Brown is done for this season for the Boston yes. Celtics. So the Celtics are the seven seed right now. The the, uh, the Wizards are the nine seed. Pacers are ten. So, I mean, However this shakes out, I mean, there's a good opportunity here with these injuries that the Pacers could still make the play-in game, especially if they get guys healthy. So if your team tank, I'm sorry, but it's just the injuries are starting to pile up for other teams. And I think Beals is less serious than Jalen Brown's. It's not season-ending. but No, it's not. Um, but, I, but I firmly expect the Wizards to make the playoffs at this point especially with Brown going down. But, I mean, the Hornets, they're the wild card in this whole thing because nobody knows how healthy they are or how good they're going to be and what, what Borrego is going to do with their with their rotations because I've been seeing a lot of Hornets fans saying, you got to get Bismack Biombo out of the rotation, stick with P.J. Washington and Zeller, and just keep it with those two. But that's where we're at right now, Fletch. No, that is where we're at. And, and uh, the Jalen Brown news just dropped while we yeah, were recording yeah, a yeah. little while ago. I got the notification for that. Still got those Woj notifications uh, going. <laughs> but uh, Bradley Beal is ruled out for the next two games, both against the Atlanta Hawks. So uh, you kind of got the feeling right over there that's going to be the rush show, but also that Washington could struggle in those games because Atlanta is a good team despite the Pacers uh, beating them recently. Uh, but Beal will be reevaluated on uh, Friday. It's, it's a hamstring strain. Um, it's going to be interesting right over there. We'll see. They play Atlanta twice, Cleveland, then Charlotte. Um, then the Pacers over their next five games, five games in seven nights. You have the Cavs, Sixers, Bucks, Lakers, and Toronto. Lakers actually in trouble right now trying to avoid the playing game. So, uh, you know, they very well might be rolling out LeBron James, even though it's the second to last game of the season. Yeah. Toronto, you get the feeling they really want to just pack it in 
The Bucks could be playing for for seeding potential. The Sixers, yeah, we've struggled against them. I do look at that Cavs game as probably a winnable game, uh, as probably as well as Toronto. So I wouldn't be surprised if we went two and three. But something just tells me the Pacers are going to do everything they can to scratch, claw, and, and fight out as many wins as they can, even if we don't want it. So I wouldn't be surprised if we went three and two over that span. But it, it just feels like from looking at it, there's really no way that well, there's no way that Toronto can catch us. But also, it doesn't look like Chicago is going to catch us unless the Pacers truly lost out and uh, the Bulls, you know, won out basically. Yeah, I believe the magic number there is two, one, you know, combined losses and wins between the mm-hmm. Pacers and Bulls. So basically, like if the Pacers get a win and the Bulls lose, then we're in or whatever. But yeah, so it's a, uh, I think Tony East had a chart on Twitter where you guys can see all the different scenarios. But the magic number, I think, for the Pacers is three to clinch a play in spot. Now, you bring up the Bucks, and I think they're in a weird spot because they're the three seed right now. They're a half game behind Brooklyn. They do not want to be the three seed because right now sitting in the sixth seed is the Miami Heat. For some reason, if the Miami Heat stay there, that is not what Milwaukee wants. That means they'd have to go through Miami, Brooklyn, and Philly to get to the finals, which is a gauntlet of a of a trio of playoff basketball. So no one wants that. I think they might hope that Atlanta falls down to uh, the sixth seed and they could play that. And then you'd have New York, Miami there for the four or five, which would be a classic Eastern Conference matchup going back to the uh, late 90s. But I just I just laugh because it's so funny. Like, all these games the Pacers have, I, I really truly believe that most teams are going to try to win. I think the exception will be before tonight or at tonight's game against Cleveland. Cleveland has no desire to win. They've been throwing out random rosters. They've been absolutely dreadful. They've lost 10 in a row. They're 0-10 in their last game, 10 games. So they are tanking full on. So I would expect the Pacers win tonight. But, yeah, Fudge, we're just in that spot right now where – you know, it's uh, it's everybody's still playing for something. So for the most part that we have on our schedule. So all I can say is whatever happens, happens at this point. I don't think – I think out of the four teams in the play-in tournament, Pacers are the worst of the four. It's that's not why, even up for debate. That's why they're 10th. Yeah. Um, I mean, even with Boston losing Jalen Brown, like I'm just not trusting. Oh, no. Jason Tatum, Kimball Walker, Marcus Smart, um, Lou Cornett. <laughs> Carson Edwards, like I'm not, I'm not, I'm just kidding with the last two, but (laughs) it's going to be a, it's going to be a tough matchup. I mean, Boston has done a really good job defensively against this. So we're just kind of stuck waiting for the season to end. But I think as soon as the season ends, more than likely, that's when you'll see the news from Woj or Shams that the Pacers are moving on from Napier and retooling and whatever. And so they'll have a long time to look at a head coach and we'll have plenty of time to talk about that. But Fachi, we had some Twitter questions. Did you want to do you want to get into those now or did you have anything else you wanted to say? No, no. I just think that, hey, look, guys, we all know we're locked into this playing game. So, you know, let's just just hope for the best, whatever that may be. Maybe that's just uh seeing some of the young guys continue to put on strong performances to end the year, give us a little bit more hope. But also I have a question for you, Alex. What's up? And do you think with the remaining games left, there's there's five games and seven nights plus the playing game. Do we see Malcolm Brogdon, Jeremy Lamb, or Miles Turner again? Who's not coming back? I don't think Turner will play in any of these remaining games. Maybe the play-in game. I think Brogdon is a possibility. I think Brogdon and Lamb, I think, come back. I think Lamb will come back. 
probably at the same time Brogdon does. I don't know. It's just hard to tell because we're not really sure what's going on with them. The Pacers are super discreet with their injury yes. reports. It's like, oh, they're questionable. Oh, they're going to test it out. They might come back. Oh, we're kind of tanking, but we're not. You know, it's like, what is going on here, Pacer Nation? Like, I just want some clarity with these injuries, but we don't get anything. It's just like, okay, you know, sore right hamstring. And here's rehab. the thing. I mentioned it earlier in the season. Jeremy Lamb has achieved the status where you can't really give him a did not play coach decision, you know, and just yeah. not play him. So this might be their version of kind of being like, you know, you're a little banged up, you know, maybe let's make sure we get you a hundred percent. I don't, I wouldn't be doing that. I'd be like, Hey, let's get him back for these last three games and yeah. let's feed him the ball. Well, I mean, it's probably like, Go let's, drop let's, 20 let's points take our game. time here until the end. But yeah, I do think that lamb and Brog in return, probably, you know, I would say this week. Well, what's our schedule look like this week? So it's, the, it's the Cavs tonight, Monday, Yep. And then we play the Sixers. Uh, I want to say that could be uh, on Tuesday, Tuesday, right? Yep. No game Wednesday. Then we play the Bucks on uh, on Thursday. We play the Lakers on Saturday, and we play the Raptors on Sunday. Okay. So here's the thing for all of our listeners: I will be out of town this weekend in Michigan with some friends. I am leaving Friday after work, and will not get back till Monday. So if you're looking for a pod during any of these times, I will not be here to do them, and I will not have time to edit one either because I'll be on vacation. So me and Foch will be back Monday night probably to mm-hmm. uh, to uh, record something depending on when I get back. But So there's a lot of things here, but I think that'll be a good time for us to you know get back together and kind of look at where we're at with the playing game. So we'll try to get a couple more episodes up this week before I do hit the, the road for a little weekend vacation. Um, it's just – you know, it didn't work out for Memorial Day weekend only because every, everything is booked up then. So you ready for these Twitter questions, Fotch? I'm ready. Bring it on. All right. We're going to start with Kalechi underscore 14. This trade was floated around on the Light Years pod, but does a Wiseman plus Minnesota pick for Miles Turner and Brogdon interest you, especially given the noise coming out of the Brogdon camp and the seemingly inevitable inevitability of a Miles trade? Fotch, what are your thoughts? First of all, shout out to Kalechi, friend of the show. Uh, you know, great question. Um, I am interested in that deal, and I'll tell you why. If you look at this Pacers team right now, how they're constructed, it feels like we're pretty much locked into, you know, being a playoff team, but not being a true contender. What this trade would do would give you the potential to, to be more than that. James Wiseman was literally nearly the number one overall pick in the draft. Uh, he ended up being number two overall to the Warriors. Seven foot one. This guy was the top recruit in college. I mean, I think that Wiseman is going to be a very good player in the NBA. Uh, and then you also have the Minnesota pick. I mean, that's a very valuable pick. You could get a potential star with that pick. So now you're, you're adding two guys that would have been equivalent to two at least top five picks. The Pacers haven't had a top five you know, pick or talent in forever. I mean, it was Rick Smith's maybe mm-hmm. draft wise, you know, Chuck person back in the day. I mean, you're talking about a long time ago. So those picks are not easy to, to, to come by, especially when you're not tanking. So Brogdon, look, I don't want to wait around for it to be a problem or anything like that. I think he's a, a, a good player, but like I said, his career might 
tap out at being a one-time all-star or right around there. And Miles Turner, look, love the guy. I think he great guy, really good defensive player, longest tenured pacer. You gotta, I think we could kind of agree that James Wiseman has the higher potential long term. Well, yeah, come on. I mean, now, I, mean I don't, but I'm, but I'm saying, you know how this goes. Ooh, hot take. That out there, and people are like, <laughs> how could you just trade Miles Turner? It's like, guys, we're talking about essentially nearly two number one picks. Like, yeah, well, I let me ask you this because I think for the salary to work on this, we would probably have to eat the Andrew Wiggins contract. We, we back. would. We would. So We're not getting I, those picks just for for. One well, week. I mean, but it's not that big of a deal because Wiggins has not been that bad this year. Really, I think, has Wiggins, he? I think Wiggins actually been underrated, but people just say like, "Oh, he sucks. He makes too much money." Without even watching him play, money. But a lot of guys make too much money oh, for oh, what they're worth. Come on now, definitely. But Wiggins <laughs> has gotten better defensively. He's been more accurate. It looks like he he cares more now. Like, yes, he's never going to be worth like the the thirty five million dollars that he'll get in, like two years from now, but. <laughs> At the same point, he's still a valuable scorer. He can give you 20 points per game per night. You're getting two top three, top five talents in terms of draft slots. I mean, come on, guys. That's, yeah. That doesn't come around often enough. Well, I got I to gotta play devil's advocate here because the only thing I would say is if you take on Wiseman, does that mean you flip Sabonis? Because at this point you have Wiseman, Goga, and Domas, which means that you're kind of loaded at center once again. Oh, of course you And are. I really don't think Wiseman and Sabonis can play together nearly Probably as effectively not. as Turner. So my question is, do you invest in Sabonis and then try to flip Wiseman to get something that fits your team more, like a wing that maybe fits more? Like, I don't know what team needs a center, but if there's a team that's like, man, I'll give up a lot more for Wiseman than I would Turner. I just, to me, I don't think Golden State would do this. I don't think they would either. I think they could get more than Turner and Brogdon. Without a doubt. For, for Wiseman in that pick. But, yeah, so, I mean, if they're stupid enough to do it because they're in win-now mode and they think Brogdon, Clay Thompson, Steph, Draymond, and Miles Turner is a championship-level team, which I don't necessarily think it's that bad. It's really not. It's pretty good. That's a very well-balanced team for Golden I, State. I agree. Um, you're so just – your your bigs, your bigs, you're not going to get much offensive production out of. So, it's basically going to be relying on Clay being healthy, Steph doing his thing, and Malcolm – being okay fitting into that role. I mean, it makes some sense, but at the same time, I mean, could they find something better? Uh, I think so. I think they could. So I think you could find a true star if you're going to be dangling that. Uh, yeah, definitely something more up that alley. Like, yeah. if I was them, I would try to throw out Wiseman in that pick for someone that fits more of a, like the need, like an OG and a Nobi or something along those lines, like a wing type of player that's good on both ends of the floor that can really impact the game. Uh, a little bit differently and takes some of the pressure off. But let's move on. Um, our next question is from Elliot Beaver. Which do you believe has a better chance of being back next season? Both bigs, Miles and Domas, or Coach Nate? Also, oh, do you believe a point guard or a wing is more important to get for this team next year? Uh, I'll start with I think the wing is more important. I think that that is just a glaring need on this team. And I just don't know how we're really going to address it. Um, now, when you entered, when you asked who's more likely to be back between Miles and Domas or Bjorkren, oh my God, that is tough because double bigs. <laughs> uh, yeah, I mean, I, I guess I would go with the double bigs. Just yeah, like you already are comfortable with them, and I, I don't think that they're necessarily the the full issue. I don't think that they're necessarily the solution by any means, but. 
it, it yeah. seems like you really can't bring back Bjorkren. And if you did bring back Bjorkren, I find it very impossible to believe that you're bringing back both centers. If they bring them all back, I'll just laugh hysterically. Yeah, we, we, we got to draw the line somewhere. Yeah. Everybody can't come back, you know? Yeah, I agree with that. And and as far as the bigger, the bigger need, I think wing is always the answer at this it point. Is. I mean, you just – you got to have guys that can play both ways. And, and quite frankly – the Pacers were at their best when they had guys like that. Look at Ron Artest, look at Danny oh, yeah. Granger, look at Paul George. I mean, they've always been, even when the league was bigger, you know what I mean, with bigger yep. centers and power forwards, like you still were just better off when you had terrific wing talent. And I think getting T.J. Warren back is huge. Of course. And I think that what we saw from that article talked about how, I think J. Michael had a report on it too, they want to give T.J. Warren a bigger leadership role next yes, year. Yes, did see be that. A, be a larger voice in the locker room. So, you know, he wants to stay in Indiana, too, which I think is a big thing. So I don't think he's going anywhere. I don't want to see Levert going anywhere. So I understand why people are th- throwing out the idea of Brogdon. But if you throw out the idea of Brogdon, then you don't have any point guard on your team at this point. At all. Yeah. So, I mean, to I me, it's like – be throwing out Aaron Holiday. That's not the answer. No, really. no Aaron, no Sumner, no McConnell. Like, McConnell's good backup, but you need someone that can yeah. legitimately play the point. So, I mean, I understand. I think it's really, really close for what's more important – but I think if you do trade Brogdon, you're really going to have to find a point guard. Um, you cannot just trade Brogdon and, and Turner and not get a point guard no. back. You, and I don't want to force myself to draft one either because at this point – Not at where we're picking. You no, know, I mean, unless Davion Mitchell falls, but then you're really just hoping and banking on a yeah, guy. And it's just it's a I don't roll the dice right there. And, and I don't want to do one of those routes where you're signing a veteran like Austin Rivers or something like that, no. trying to patch up a hole. So, yeah, I mean, there's, there's just not enough true point guards in this league. There truly isn't. And, and I just think that if the Pacers do get rid of Brogdon, you better be getting someone back in that deal. Yeah, because, I mean, honestly, the teams that you would think – who would be willing to give up a point guard? Like, I think someone that's kind of under the radar that could make some sense is Jalen Brunson. Oh, this yeah. is a guy. He, this he he come along pretty solidly. He gives me George Hill, San Antonio Spurs vibes, where he was the backup. You know, it was Tony Parker's yeah. team. Jalen Brunson has really done a great job, but it's like it's still Lucas' team. Like he's never going to be that starting point guard that's making the late game decisions. But I think that he fits kind of what this roster would be like with Levert and Warren at your two and your three if you don't, you know, do that. And, I mean, I've, I'm just looking at teams that might need a center, and Dallas is a team that I think could. And if you're looking at point guards, I think Brunson's probably the best option. A lot of people have thrown out Lonzo Ball. I've thrown it out there. But a lot of different people I've talked to have said he's not really a true point guard. So it's like he's he's better off as a wing player that sees the floor well. I just don't know what you do if you trade Brog, and then that's kind of where you're stuck at. We did the point card chronicles a couple years ago. And we yeah. wanted Brogdon. Yeah, we did. And, I, and he's played well. He has. It's he's just, fine. It's just that what are we really expecting for him to do? I mean, it's like he, he's he's had he's taken his game to the next level. He has. Yeah. Uh, and I just think that it's not on him to do it alone. Uh, you know, I think that if TJ Warren played this year. You know, maybe Brogdon's assist totals are probably maybe around nine or so. I think they, they lower down to like in the sixes or close to seven. I mean, he could have almost been like a 20 and 10 guy. Maybe probably would have taken less score. But he could have been like maybe close to 18 and 10, 18 and nine for a point guard who is, you know, a, a efficient. I mean, I think it's all you can really ask. Mm-hmm. No, I agree. And so David Matteo asked this question while we're on the subject. So, 
if the Pacers move on from Brogdon for some reason, what is a realistic return? Pacers would move on from Brogdon. I mean, I don't know. To, to be honest, I don't think that his value is, like, super great. I think you're probably looking at, like, a, a young player and a, and a first-round pick, but it's more along the lines of a first-round pick to a playoff team. So is that really worth, you know, making the move for? Uh, I, I don't think so because we talked about before when Pacers acquired Brogdon, I mean, everybody was basically saying, is this the greatest – you know, kind of acquisition the Pacers have had. And yeah, I know they called it like a free agency, but it was a sign and trade. But, mm-hmm. you know, guys weren't really picking Indiana. And I just think that if you're going to deal them, it better be a deal that you really can't pass up and not just a deal that you're trying to make just to make a deal. So I can't give you a great answer on that. I would think that it would have to be a very promising young player uh, that a team can't really wait around on. Like, for instance, when, you, when Clutchy brought up that trade that involved the James Wiseman and a top pick. Uh, while I know that's not going to happen, that's, I want one of those pieces, one of those assets that we could only potentially acquire through tanking. Yeah. Well, I guess the only answer I would have, and it would probably be a bit of a cop-out, but you might do like a sign-in trade for Kyle Lowry. Um, I don't know what the relationship is going to be like with Toronto with everything happening with Bjorkren. I don't really think that should matter, but this is just kind of where I'm at with it. So I'm, I'm thinking to myself, what point guards could you really get? You know what I mean? And that's where I'm stuck because there's so many good point guards and I just, I just don't know. And I'm looking, I'm trying to look at different, you know, point guards that are here in the league and who could be had and who could not be like, I wonder if like DeJounte Murray is available at all from San Antonio I've wondered a little bit about Colin Sexton or Darius Garland. Like, could you pry one of them away from Cleveland? That would be intriguing. I, I yeah. think because Larry at this age, like he's a good player, but I do think that his better years are most definitely behind him. And for the Pacers, you know, it could be a bold move to have to, you know, pay him significant amount of money at this age if you're not getting the Kyle Lowry of the past. Yeah, and, I'll, and my last one I'll throw out here because I don't really think he's like a true true point guard, but. I think that he would solidify some areas of need, and that would be Marcus Smart. I've gone back and forth on Marcus Smart. He definitely <laughs> does have a need that the Pacers have been missing, but I just don't know. I don't think he'll ever truly develop into what was expected of him initially. And Well, here's know. what I'm saying. I think he's more of a locker room leader. He is. He's a locker room leader. Not no nonsense. Going to do the hustle play. Take a charge. Get the steal. Like a, a lot of he brings a lot of great stuff to the table. Yeah, I mean, he's he's bad on offense. He's not a great three point shooter. He's never going to be efficient. There's times where he kind of takes over games when he shouldn't, in my opinion. But I mean, I'm not saying like the Pacers want to get Brogdon to Boston, but like maybe they could figure something out. I would not want Kemba Walker. No, 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 no. <laughs> uh, he's too small. If there's somehow a way they can get Russell Westbrook out of Washington, then I would do that. I would just flat out say it. I'm a Russell Westbrook diehard fan. I have been for a very long time. I love those, you know, OKC days when him and Durant Harden and Baca were all there together. I was just like, man, I love this team. They were the new up-and-coming fun team, and Westbrook was just go all out. And I'll just say this about Russ, if you love him or hate him. I mean, we talked about it in the offseason. We're like, nah, I don't want to trade Vic and Turner for Russ. But I think at this point, um, just seeing what he's doing in Washington, seeing what he did in OKC, I will just say this. Russell Westbrook does not care what market he's in. 
No. He loves the game of basketball. He's going to go a thousand percent no matter where he's at. And sometimes to the detriment of his team because he does get a little bit out of control. But I would rather have a guy that's out of control and cares about, you know, Pacers versus Hornets game 57 of the regular season as much as he does the NBA finals than a guy that's number one, not healthy enough or doesn't care enough and can be kind of smug. So I'm not saying that I think. Brogdon's a bad player like that. I think Westbrook's in a different tier than he is Yeah, by a long shot. And just, I mean, people want to dispute the numbers. Oh, they're just triple doubles. Oh, it's not that important. Anybody can do them. Look at the numbers we're getting today. Russell Westbrook is a freak, okay? Like, let's he just is. stop downplaying how great of a basketball player he is. I like Russell Westbrook. There's, there's a highlight going around where Westbrook just – he pulled down a rebound between three pacers, and it was just pure hustle. That's all it was. He, out, he outworks the guys around him. And if you are his teammate, you know, you see that on a daily basis. And the Wizards right now have nothing but respect for Russ. I do, I do think that that's someone that would work his butt off. It's a, it's a little bit different of a situation now, as I believe he only has one more year left on that deal. That's next year, mm-hmm. uh, where I know he's making, you know, big money. It's like $42, $44 million, whatever it is. It's a lot, but it's much more appealing than coming into the year where it was like, Two years, $90 million owed. I mean, that was that was a tough pill to swallow. What about what about someone like Spencer Dinwiddie, if you could get him on the free agent market? I, I love me some Dinwiddie. I really would do. He, would he be a good fit at point guard, or would you maybe get him and slide down Brogdon and kind of go with, like, Dinwiddie, Brogdon, Levert, Warren, Sabonis roster? Man, look, I, I think adding Dinwiddie definitely makes the team better. Do I, I mean, I keep going back to this. Do I think he's like a true point guard? Uh, uh, there's really not that many of them. So <laughs> yeah. and that's the thing is like, you can't really be too picky. But I, I think that, I mean, in the end, I mean, what, what, what you could really probably poll a lot of people. They'd say different things. Would you rather have Spencer Dinwoody or would you rather have Malcolm Brogdon? That's fair. That's fair. And well, the last one I'll throw up scenario wise before I move on to my next question. Let's say Minnesota gets their first overall pick and they draft Cade Cunningham number one overall. Is D'Angelo Russell somebody you'd be interested in? I do like D'Angelo Russell. I see. Do. I don't. I, I I don't. Now look, here's the thing. <laughs> he, here's the thing. I, I I like him. Do do I think that he is the answer? No. I mean, I think that he's a he's a good player. I love what he brought to like the 2018 Nets. I love that. I felt like that Russell. I mean, I know he's been hurt this year and everything like that, but mm-hmm. it kind of comes down to a similar situation. Like, Russell and Brogdon, like, I don't think if you say you made a trade like that, I mean, how much better really are you? I don't – what is that worth? I mean, if you put that in an NBA trade machine, that feels like the kind of deal that that is like a one-win difference. Yeah. No, I agree with that. I, I, I think that we would actually take a hit just because the defense, is, could. The defense yeah. is so bad. I don't really see an option out there for point guard. One one name I would keep an eye on, just and he's not really a point guard, but he's a he's a shooting guard. I just don't know if he would make some sense. I would just keep my eye on CJ McCollum. If love me some McCollum, I really do. Yeah. I I don't I just don't. Can Portland really break that up? I feel like that's how you damage a relationship with Damian it's, Lillard. It's been kind of sniffed out there before, like different ideas of like Turner for him. But I think that it maybe if you did like a uh, a Turner Brogdon for McCollum and something back, 
depends what that something is. Yeah, um, I mean, I wouldn't, I wouldn't want Nurkic, but like maybe they threw like Derek Jones Jr. in there or something. Like with that being intriguing, I mean, I'm just throwing, I'm just throwing crap at the fan right now, so I'm just thinking out loud. But I do think that that is something I would just like, you know, maybe just keep my eye on, like to see if he's available because. I just, I just really don't know. And, I mean, as far as point guards go, there's not a lot of point guards that are sitting on the bench anywhere that you're like, oh, I want to get them. I think Garland and maybe Kobe White are a couple of names, but neither of them are, like, guys that I'm like, ooh, I'd rather yeah. have them than Brogdon right now. I wanted Kobe White to take a bigger step forward, and he didn't. I, I was never a big Kobe White fan. Yeah. The, the Bulls, I don't know what's going on over there. It just feels like they've kind of woofed on, on a lot of uh, – top lottery picks and Kobe White. I just don't know if he's ever going to fully blossom, at least probably not over there. Uh, but yeah, there really isn't that much young point guard talent out there that you feel like just kind of needs a new home. And then when you bring up CJ McCollum, to me, better score than Brogdon, no doubt, but also another guy that falls into that category of really good player. That's not good enough to be an all-star. And maybe McCollum would have been an all-star this year if he hadn't gotten hurt, but even that would have been for the first time. Mm -hmm. So it feels like if you have to give up too much to almost kind of stay lateral, then I, I don't know if it's worth it. Yeah, would you rather have Terry Rozier or Malcolm Brogdon at this point? Man, I was a known Rozier hater, a known. <laughs> He's had a very good year. Yeah. Dropped 40 points three times this year. He's been one of the most clutch players in the league. And he's got, I don't know, he's got like a little bit of that 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 edge to him that I think you kind of need a little bit. But, uh, and he's been way more accurate than in the past. I remember even saying the only thing scary about him is his field goal percentage. But <laughs> he he has gotten better. So that that's a that's a tough question right there. Yeah, uh, it is, man. I uh, I think I would lean Malcolm still. I think but, I lean Malcolm too, but I, I, I am impressed with what Terry Rozier is doing, and I, I'll I'll let him uh, I'll let it be known that I was very hard on him, and he's he's improved. Absolutely. So I'm gonna stay with David Matia. He throws another trade idea at us here. He says, "Who says no? Pacers acquire Russell Westbrook and PJ Washington. The Hornets acquire Miles Turner. The Wizards acquire Jeremy Lamb, Malcolm Brogdon, Aaron Holiday. What are your thoughts on that?" Oof, that's a big trade right there. Um, getting Russ and PJ Washington, I think, would be would be pretty cool. It would be fun, <laughs> but uh, man, I, I'm not. I'm not. I don't really care about trading Jeremy Lamb and Aaron Holiday. I don't. I think if you trade Brogdon, you know, you got to be bringing in a point guard. You got Russ right there. If it doesn't work out, you saved a lot of cap room. I'll tell you that. So, yeah, because I think Russ has one more year left yeah, on one his more contract. Year expiring at, at over $40 million. So you get that off the books. You get like $20 million of Malcolm Brogdon off the books. Um, and then obviously Jeremy Lamb's expiring. And then Miles Turner, you're shedding like his $18 million. So if it doesn't work out, PJ Washington is a young player that I think can play with Sabonis, uh, I would like to think. But you're saving a lot of money. But I mean, how much does it really move the needle, if we're being honest? Oh, I think it moves the needle quite a bit. But I think that you might have a little bit too much ball hog on your hand with Russ, Karras, TJ, and Sabonis. <laughs> That's a lot of ball hogging. And then here's the thing. You make that trade, you better be prepared to re-sign uh, Westbrook long-term. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. 
if you have a one-year window to win a championship, it ain't happening. Yeah, no, I mean, I don't think they would get 40 – I don't think they'd give Russ another $45 million max yeah. contract. But, yeah. I mean, I think if you – I think the Hornets would be happy to just get Miles Turner for P.J. Washington. There's no doubt about that. Yeah. Um, I think that he's really good and really young. So, I mean, they could be like, yeah, we don't want to give him up. We don't want to give him Bridges. But I think with the way Bridges has played this year and how he's fit in with – Lamelo, I just don't think they should move on from him over PJ. Even though I uh, I liked PJ in the draft better than I like Miles, oh but I think when it comes down to when it comes down to Jeremy Malcolm and Aaron, is that enough to convince Russ to convince the Wizards that Russell Westbrook is worth trading? The only reason they might do it is because they get a young player in Aaron Holiday, and they get Malcolm Brogdon, who is a little bit younger. But at the same time, it just to me it lowers their ceiling. It's just like a yeah. lateral move. I can't see the Wizards doing. I that. don't think they do that. I think Indiana would probably do it. To be honest with you, I know that that's, that looks like a lot of money there, but I think they would probably consider it because Lamb and Aaron Holiday are nothing. They tr- yeah. pretty much just trade Turner and Brogdon for Washington and Westbrook. Um, I just feel like, depending on who their coach is, you know who they bring in. If they bring in a D'Antoni, he's already worked with Westbrook. How was that relationship? It seemed like it was okay. Not bad. So I just, I don't know, Fudge, but I wouldn't be opposed to it. I think just to change it up would be fun. <laughs> I know. That's the problem is some of us were so ready for change that we're, we're almost kind of just like, yeah, why not? Let's see how it goes. And it's like, <laughs> we don't know how it's going to go. And that, that might be the big problem here is that like we mentioned it many times. You can't bring this team back to the point where you you just want to see something happen. Mm-hmm. And I know, like, you know, Kevin Pritchard even said himself, like, we're not going to make a trade just to make a trade. It's like, why not now? We need to see something. Yeah. So, you know, it, like I said, even even the fact of just bringing in O'Shea Brissett, getting him signed long-term made us feel like, okay, all right, we made a change to this team. And, and that, that was good to see. But – Far more change needs to come. No, I completely agree. So let's move on to our very last question. My man, Chris Drubert. I, I am a, sorry if I'm saying your name wrong. So please, you send us questions a lot. If I'm saying your name wrong, please let me know. He said, what would have to happen for there not to be a coaching change? Head coach, that is. We already know the assistants are gone. So he said, what would have to happen for there not to be a coaching change, Fotch? I, I honestly think the players would have to come together I don't want to say win out, but I'd say like go on a run, like something where you see the, the style of play change on the court. I, I don't think that Bjorken is just going to have something up his sleeve to make an adjustment in the playing game that all of a sudden propels this team. But I think that if the Pacers did do something like, you know, win the playing game and then maybe do the unthinkable and like take – you know, Brooklyn or, or Philly or whatever it is to, to you know, seven games, because I can't imagine in any scenario us winning as the eighth seed. But if you did something like that, like you were knocking on the doorsteps of pulling an upset, then I think maybe you could be like, hey, we just need to run it back at that point, which is obviously our nightmare. But that's the only situation I could think that they're like, you know what, bring Bjorken back. Yeah, I think it'd have to be a playoff run. I mean, it would have to be. I don't, I don't think that you know, stumbling into the playing game and, and, and being competitive <laughs> in a playing game is going to keep anybody around here. No. If you could get in as the eight or seven seed, well, you probably won't get the seven seed, but if for no. some reason you got into that seven, eight playing game and you ended up getting the seven seed and then 
winning a first round series, whether you're seven or eight, don't matter where you're at. But if you could win a playoff series against a top team and then be competitive in the second round, I could see why, you know, you might keep your job and players might buy and be like, okay, he's changed. We're going to change to who he is adapting to because I mean, Bjorkman's kind of running out of time here. He's running out of time to try to change things. But I think the first thing he can do is like you said, look in the mirror and become better. Um, There's, He's, you know, basically he's on his best behavior because he's trying to prove like this is going to look awful for him for like like for future jobs. Because like if you get fired in your first year from an organization that doesn't do that very often, that says more about you than it does anything else. And that's on the it's on the front office and it's on the players, I guess, a little bit. But it's really on him if he's really as bad as they say he is. So uh, we just hear reports. We don't really have any reporters inside the locker room. So this is all going off what people have told different reporters. And at the end of the day, what I will say, Foch, you just you just have to go on a deep playoff run to keep Bjorkman. Yeah. But even then, I don't know if Pritchard exactly a hundred percent. I think it would have to be one of those where kind of like that feeling when the Pacers took Toronto to seven games when they were the seventh seed, mm-hmm. and when they lost at the very end. I mean, they were really so close to pulling that upset that it was like, oh, my God, like, wow, we almost had that. Like, oh, you know, I I can't wait for next year. You need to be really, like, pushing the first or second seed to the very, very, you know, the edge. And I just don't see that happening. And when you mentioned about Bjorken, you know, getting fired after one year, I don't know what the numbers are, but I would be very curious to see if an NBA head coach has ever gotten fired in year one and then become another NBA head coach again. Oh, yeah, I have no idea. I feel like that can't be more than one person to achieve that, and I'm imagining a long path of being an assistant coach in between. Yeah, no, there's no doubt about it. I mean, it's uh, it's interesting times now for the Pacers, and we've got ourselves some drama on our hands to unfold this offseason as we look forward to that. But I do feel bad because there's someone that I think they messaged me on our um, – yeah, okay. Yeah, someone had messaged me on Instagram and they said, you never answer my questions on here. So I feel bad. I remembered as we were talking, his name is Kane Falconer at Fester35. He said, um, I'm going to ask a mailbag question. Now, he did ask this a couple weeks ago, so I apologize. But he said, what are your thoughts on Miles Turner for Charlotte Hornets 2021 pick, Devontae Graham and Jalen McDaniels? Pacers get a starting point guard who can shoot the three ball nicely. Jalen is a solid upside guy at position of need being a big forward. And we get another pick in teens to take a swing at someone with our likely lottery pick. Then he gives me the starting lineup, which would be Graham Brogdon, Levert, Warren, Sabonis. Still have defensive issues, but that's that's the guys I'd be after in the draft to help that. Excuse me, I had to burp there. That defensive side. I'd also... Look to package Warren, Lamb, Holiday, uh, both of them in some way, shape, or form for a more defensive power forward if we ins- if, uh, if we were insanely concerned about that. So a lot to unpack there. A lot, they- lot to unpack. Kind of lost me a little bit halfway, but from what <laughs> hey, I remember. Hey, hey, pay attention. Yeah, there was – I mean, you were this reading is, the whole story right there. Hey, I but, just wanted to give him credit because it's been like April 21st when he messages this. And we really haven't done a mailbag. I've just asked for Twitter questions, and I haven't done it. So, basically, thoughts on Miles Turner for the 2021 Hornets pick, Devontae Graham and Jalen McDaniels. 
it's really not that great of a deal to be honest. I hate like, it. <laughs> like, uh, it's like, look, we want change, but come on, we're not giving away Miles Turner for the first first call we receive. I just feel like right right over here, you're getting a, a so-so pick. I mean, what are you picking? Like the 16th overall pick, maybe give or take. You're getting Jalen McDaniels, which like could be good, you know, could not, you know, whatever it is. Like, obviously, he's a a good enough player to to be in the rotation. Devontae Graham, like, I don't know. I mean, we already have a lot of guards. I just feel like he'd kind of be in the shuffle. Good player. I thought he'd have a better year. But in the end, I'm not in love with that deal at all. Yeah. Well, I'm going to throw one more at you because I forgot someone else messaged me. I'm so sorry I'm over the top here with my questions today. But Kevin Chaney wants to know, Possible question for the podcast. What are the odds we go after Gordon Hayward again? Charlotte has had interest in Miles for a long time, but it would be a stretch to make the money work. Fachi, no, <laughs> are you at with this? this? No, this is something that some people might have to kind of let die maybe until like Hayward's contract runs out and then it comes up again to be like, what if he retires in Indiana? And like, maybe, maybe that could happen. But with the money he's getting paid right now, and how bad Charlotte has wanted him twice. I find it hard to believe that they're just going to be like, hey, maybe we just trade him at this point when we finally made the playoffs and looked good this year at times. like, I Would you know. rather get off that money and bring in like Turner and Lamb and Aaron Holiday for Hayward and like somebody that you don't really care about as much? Or would you rather give the Pacers – one of your two power forwards and Miles Bridges and PJ Washington. Like if you're like if you're valuing those three players, like who would you value as giving up for Turner the most? Like would you value Hayward over those two? I I, I don't think they're going to part with Hayward because I just think that it's so hard for the Hornets to attract an All Star well, level player. Yeah, but and, is he really he, an All Star now? He was. He was. That's why I say All Star level. You know, know it's like. But- you know, uh, but I'm thinking timeline here because you've got so many young players that, and Hayward's not really in that realm, age wise. Yeah. I understand that you need leadership, but Turner's what 25 years old now. Yeah, Miles Bridges, PJ Washington, they're all younger than that. Yeah, then you've got two, then you've got Lamelo who's younger than that. I mean, that gives you a really nice young core. I don't know if all three of them can play like three, four, five, but I think that there's still some room there to grow. Um, I don't know. I think that I might be interested if I'm Charlotte just a little bit. If I could hold on to my young guys and get rid of that money, I think that that's interesting. I think if the Hornets just fell on their face this year, they might have had buyer's remorse and been like, eh, uh, you yeah. know, you know, why did we really do that? Maybe if the opportunity comes and we can keep this core alive, you know, together for, for the years to come, yeah, we make that move. But now all of a sudden it's like, well, if LaMelo didn't have a wrist injury and Hayward didn't get hurt and they, they keep it together and they stayed healthy, Charlotte could have been the fourth seed this year and no one expected that. So I'm playing devil's advocate with you. Yeah. Just because uh, if I didn't, it'd be boring for the podcast. But I do think that there could be some like different like scenario or like a pathway you go down, just to kind of look at it from that angle. Yeah. Like, yeah, you know, honestly, we could. We could keep P.J. Washington. Like, look, I mean, is P.J. Washington for Miles Turner the best thing they can get? Or could they trade Hayward for, for Turner and Lamb? And then Lamb's a free agent next year, so they're off that money. So they save money there. They can look at maybe resigning Cody Zeller to a, a, a smaller deal, bringing him back as their backup center. That gives them good center depth. And they look at P.J. Washington and Bridges maybe at the three and the four determine if that's going to be a good fit or not. And if it's not, then you trade one of them and get a wing player that makes more sense. 
I think that there's something there, and I think the Pacers would be interested on their part to bring in Hayward. I mean, obviously they were last year. I think he's a connector, offensive player type of guy, similar to Domas. So, yeah, I mean, I, I think it could. I'm not sitting here saying that I would do it if I'm Charlotte or if I'm Indiana, but I, I think that there is some kind of interesting conversation there to have behind it. Yeah, there's always going to be an interesting conversation given the interest, the mutual interest of Hayward and the Pacers. But then also, I just feel like Charlotte, they wanted Gordon Hayward bad to the point where – But they've it, also it, been linked it, to Turner like for three years. Yeah, they have. But like I said, they were linked to Hayward for years. They finally got their guy, and it paid off. I, I think that Hayward's that good veteran presence over there. That's good. I'm not talking about the Bismack Biombo veteran <laughs> presence where, where you're just unfortunately under contract. Um, I think with Hayward right there, yes, they overpaid. I think that there's always going to be that what if, you know, situation with Pacer fans and Hayward, but um, I, I just don't see them parting with it yet. Yeah, well, if we went back and looked at the what ifs of Pacer Nation or Pacers history, OG Ananobi, Gordon Hayward, anybody else, maybe Devin Booker, if you don't select Miles Turner. John Collins. John Collins, always. if you don't get TJ Leaf. I mean, there's always a bunch of what ifs, but Kawhi I did. Leonard. Yeah, the yeah, list goes We don't want to make people upset. All right. <laughs> All right, well, that's how we're going to end today's podcast. So we'll uh, we'll talk to you all either Tuesday or Wednesday. I'm going to be busy Tuesday, but uh, we'll see if we can figure something out. Maybe if I can get a guest on or I can get a guest on in between. We'll be back Thursday for sure to get you guys all set up for the weekend. Thank you so much. Make sure you follow us. We're at Fachi. Oh, you can find us on Twitter at SettingThePace3. You can find Alex on Twitter at AlexGoldenNBA. I can be found on Twitter at underscore F-A-C-C-I. And you can find us on Instagram at Pacers Talk. And no matter if we're winning or losing, if you're still listening to this podcast, you are a true and loyal Pacers fan. So look in the mirror, throw your hands up, and say these three words. Let's go Pacers!